This is a HeadGum Podcast. Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I am Jeff Rubin, joined today by Sean Beard, the owner of what is almost certainly uh, the world's largest collection of Beavis and Butthead merchandise. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Sean, give me a sense, just how big is the collection? Well, I I don't know. I don't know if uh, people remember how much merchandise was really made for the show, but I mean, on a level of what like you could accomplish with say the simpsons it probably doesn't seem like much but i I live in a studio apartment and it's pretty much just a uh a shrine to beavis and butthead i have thousands of items you know thousands Um, of items in a studio apartment so it must take up the whole apartment yeah oh yeah easily Uh, yeah i got like stuff dangling over my fridge that's uh yeah yeah like you'd imagine i suppose (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, you know, people can look up pictures. This might be instructive to help them uh, imagine what we're talking about here. P- people, uh, a great place to start to look, even while we're while you're listening to us talk, uh, might be your Instagram. What is your Instagram? Usually we save this for the end, but I think right now people should really get a look at what this collection looks like. How do, how do people find uh, these pictures? The, it's Beavis and Butthead Collector, but it's instead of and, Beavis and Butthead, you know, an N, a hard N. You know? <laughs> so Beavis N, the letter N, Butthead Collector, uh, on Instagram, just to see what we're talking about here. And I want to, like, get into how you store it and how you actually collected it. But when did it start? Like, did you have you been collecting this stuff since the show aired? I, 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 would, I was born in 87, so I was pretty young when the show came out in 93, but I latched onto it pretty instantly. Even as a five-year-old? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how old you are, but if you remember, they were, like, the thing for that four yeah. years you know you went to the you went to the mall you saw beavis and butthead and most people i know didn't have cable back then but you knew who they were you know what i mean it was just it was just iconic instantly yeah i'm um, fi- about five years older than you so i remembered as the, like you're saying this pop culture phenomenon uh but yeah. i also like i think i was a little young for the show and i was definitely into it as all what year was it on 92 93 is when it really hit. So, yeah, I'm like 10 or 11. So, yeah, I liked Beavis and Butthead. But uh, I felt like I was a little young for it, and I didn't get pieces of it. So as a five-year-old, I'm just trying to imagine, like, what you got out of it, you know? Like, do you remember the first time you saw it? Yeah. uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, I have a tattoo on my back dedicated to the first time I saw it. My my parents were, like, splitting up for a bit or, you know, something like that. Um, And my dad was living with, like, his childhood best friend, who's just this, this dude named Ronnie who just, like, had, you know, uh, a recliner, a TV, and then literally, like, two bookshelves filled with VHS pornos and then, like, three boxes of Hustlers in the corner. So he was just, you know, like, to a five-year-old, the coolest guy ever. <laughs> um, so, so I'm over there that day. And, you know, Ronnie's like, oh, put some cartoons on for him while they, like, you know, go off and do whatever. And, uh, you know, Ronnie's idea of cartoons is Beavis and Butthead. And it was the end of uh, Lawn and Garden, the older episode where they cut down Anderson's tree with the chainsaw, and uh, Beavis cuts off Butthead's finger with the chainsaw. I have that tattooed on my back because that was the first time I saw them. It actually scared the shit out of me. 
Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're drawn so ugly and crude and kind of monstrous, especially the early episodes, if you remember. That must be one of your earliest memories. Um, I have a very vivid memory of being little. I can remember things from like a few years before that somehow. But yes, it's definitely one of my earliest memories I really latch onto. That's for sure. You know, and then I became obsessed with drawing those characters. And then we didn't have cable. So it was one of those things you'd, uh, you know, you'd see at someone else's house. Maybe now a good time to pause. Um, for those who didn't, were not shown the show by their father's cool friend. Uh, like, how I think people are like generally have heard of Beavis and Butthead. They maybe know what it looks like, but there's probably a lot of yeah. people who are listening to this who haven't actually like seen an episode or maybe like kind of know what yeah. the deal is. Just like, wh- how would you describe this show? How would I describe the show? <laughs> um, I think that it perfectly captures that adolescence in, uh, in boys where you are so nihilistic at such a young age, nothing really affects you. You know, every like boy at that age kind of has that like one friend they latch onto and just kind of like, don't have to say anything to each other to start laughing at the world. You know, like a car crashes in front of you at that age. You're like, Whoa, <laughs> you know, cause it like breaks up the monotony. Then by the time you're an adult, you're like, Oh my God, I hope everybody's okay. That, that to me is the and butthead. It uh, just captures the nihilistic adolescence of boys better than I think anything ever did. But how do you like what happens in an episode? Like how do you describe just sort of the plot of the show? I guess it kind of goes back to like three stooges type plots. You know, it's like Beavis and the type of characters where you could put them in a simple situation and just their reaction to it is, you know, what makes the show for you. But uh, I must think one of the, the episode I like to introduce people to is the one called The Great Day. A Great Day. They don't really affect much in the plot. They kind of, they go to school. It's closed that day for a holiday, you know, so that they're happy. Um, <laughs> Stuart asks them to hang out, but he's just kidding. He really can't, so they're happy. Uh, they <laughs> they see Anderson's dog having sex with another dog, and Anderson comes out, and he's upset. You know, they're happy. Um, they see a car crash, and they're happy. Another car crashes into it. You know, it all just kind of builds up to them uh, accidentally getting some money, you know, through a matter of events and seeing somebody get beat up by somebody else in the parking lot um, of their favorite, you know, uh, gas station. They sit in front of them and drink Slurpees and more or less ends on that note. So it's really a slice of life, <laughs> but in retrospect, everyone else's day that, you know, was there. was. <laughs> and do you watch, do you, have you been into Beavis and Butthead since you saw it as a five-year-old, have you been into it continuously to this very day, or was there yeah. ever like a dark period? Can I tell you the the, the dark times just real quick, just so you know? Um, I interviewed someone, a Lego expert, and the Lego expert told me that in the Lego community, they refer to the time for between like when you're into Lego as a kid and then when you rediscover it as an adult. That's like your dark period. Those are your dark times, and that's a thing in the Lego community. Were were there dark times for you and Beavis and Butthead? I guess not. You know, it's like once I once it was gone, South Park came out, and that was probably the most I forgot about Beavis and Butthead for like two years. You know, that ninety seven and ninety eight period where I'm sure you remember when South Park hit. Another and sort that of phenomenon like that, yeah. It, absolutely, and for me, that kind of came out less than a year after the the boys were off the air. That was very heartbreaking for me. It's kind of like a perfect rebound relationship, um, and. uh you know, once South Park was on long enough, 
it always went back to the boys, you know, once I got into my teens and started dating, it was always like a thing. It's like, well, I'm going to show you Beavis and Butthead girl, you know, <laughs> and just like scare them off. Um, so I, I guess it's just really always been there. There, there, there was kind of a rediscovery period, um, in like 2012 where I bought something and I was like, man, I really miss looking for stuff for this show. Like this is what I collected as a kid and now I'm an adult and I have money. I don't know. I, I don't think I said out loud or said to myself, but next thing you know, it's like, well, I seem to be buying everything, <laughs> you know, like I'm not discriminating. It sounds like you almost sort of consciously decided to start a collection. Is that right? Yeah, more or less, man. It, very much. Yes. And had it, you collected it, like it, baseball cards as a kid or like, had you done any sort of collecting? I collected first Beavis and Butthead when I was a kid. Um, but you know how young I must've been, uh, you know, if someone got you something, then you'd get it. You know, I didn't walk into a store and buy anything. Remember vending machine stickers, you know, there were little things you could access as a kid like that vending machine stickers, I think is the best example of the comic books mm -hmm. and, you know, and you'd hold on to them. And then, you know, in my teens, like, you know, once the show went away, it really freaking did. <laughs> you know yeah, what that's I mean? what I was going to ask uh, is, is like there must have been a period in the 90s where uh, it was hard to find episodes of the show. I mean, I, they're all, I think, released in some format now or a lot of them are. Or I don't know. I'm sure you can tell me exactly in what ways well, yeah, has been I, officially released. But like there must have been a time yeah, where there was nothing. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that is a big thing with me. I think that that really is the big part of the obsession was. By the time we got cable, it was 95. Now, in 94, my grandmother had gotten me the entire trading card set. And you remember trading cards back then for shows. Each episode would get its own card, and then mm. with a description of the episode on the back. I, I kind of became obsessed with the episodes on these cards because by 94, there were like 50 to 60 episodes that weren't airing anymore because of the big controversy. You know, that kid set fire to his trailer and his little sister died. And they blamed Beavis and Butthead. You just kind of glossed over that, but I just want to explain what happened for people who are maybe younger. Oh, right people of our age, I think, this is like, if you ask people what they remember about Beavis and Butthead, this is probably one of the main things that people really remember yeah. about the show, is there was right. this controversy. Um, a kid set a fire to a trailer. I think. I mean, you just explained it, but I just want to slow down to the first moment, just so people understand. This yeah. kid set a fire to a trailer. I think he killed his sister, quite tragically, Right. And yes, like there, there was a, uh, a death his sister died. and his mom blamed Beavis and Butthead. There's an episode where Beavis or Butthead, you can tell me, set something on fire. And it sort of became yeah. um, I don't know if it existed before this, but it became very controversial that Beavis and Butthead was very influential in kids and uh, was a bad influence and um, was going to make people start fires. I mean, I still associate Beavis and Butthead with starting fires, even though I don't think it was like a major element of the show. Did I get it, all that right? It wasn't. It, 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 was, it wasn't even so much in the beginning. But yes, if you bring up Beavis and Butthead to people, you'll either get to laugh, cornholio, or fire, fire, fire. You know? Uh, yeah, the fire controversy is right. so, you know, it's, it's there. So it's, uh, there were, at, because it. of that controversy, there were episodes that were unavailable for a long time. And as like an 11 year old pre-internet, you're like, you know, you, you're just like, they exist only in dreams and imagination. Like you swear they exist, yeah, but you can the, never see them. And right, there, you have the picture on the front of the card and then you have a very vague description through their writing on the back of the card, which, you know, 
<laughs> them describing the episode, you know, you're not going to get too much out of it. So, so do you think like um, your obsession with it is driven was driven by the fact that like in these prime Beavis and Butthead appreciating appreciating years, um, there were bits of it that were just inaccessible, and you knew they were inaccessible. You knew they existed, but you couldn't access them. And like, absolutely. And uh, I, I would say a big breaking point where the obsession really peaked was they had the VHS tapes when we were kids, and now I had all of them. Uh, but the first two I got were the first two that were released. And they had a lot of those older episodes on them. But even as a kid, they just, they felt wrong. They they were really short. Do they have so the, the music videos? Because this the was music another videos thing. were not on the tape. If you don't know Beavis right, and Butthead, right. if you, if, again, if you just missed this show or whatever, um, there was an element of the show where they would watch music videos, because I guess it was because it was on MTV, and they had the rights or whatever, and they'd watch music videos, primarily like 80s, 90s metal music videos, and Beavis and Butthead would comment on it, almost like Mystery Science Theater. And we, I guess because of the licensing for the music videos, those segments, I think, are not in a lot of the releases. No, I, I, on the Mike Judge collection, which is like the definitive collection you can buy in stores, there's like 35 music videos. Now, every episode was usually interrupted by four music videos, and there's 200 original episodes. So you can imagine how many music videos aren't out there, and never will be. There, We can get into this, but there is a fan preservation of the show. It yeah, is surely like just, the, the video of it must exist. Like I know I know you've got a copy of all yeah. uh, 800 of those music videos or whatever it is, right? Well, yeah, me, me, and, me and a bunch of other guys, it's been like a two-decade process, you know, through tape trading and getting yep. home recordings off eBay and whatnot. We have, we've gotten every music video. Granted, some of them, the recording quality is very bad, but then... A lot of those episodes, once the fire controversy happened, they would cut the episodes of their fire references or them, you know, just doing things that they were just afraid kids were going to imitate. So then you'd have these very butchered re-airings. So then it became a goal to like, well, gosh, we have to get the full episode of this. So if you see some of those old episodes, all of a sudden Beavis will be flicking a lighter and you can tell that the quality isn't as good all of a sudden because it's all um, Frankenstein monster together. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. But, but that is kind of a big part of why I did become obsessed with this show because it was there. They were telling you to watch it. They were also telling you not to watch it. They were also not letting you see a lot of it. But then on the news, they were telling you that we're not letting you see a lot of it. And as a five-year-old, you know, year old, six-year-old kid, it's kind of like, well, this is my favorite thing in the world, and they're denying me of it. <laughs> um, so I remember those VHS tapes had a lot of those crude era episodes. Like I call it the crude era. Um, the internet comes out and I'm, you know, downloading episodes and whatnot, getting into this like fan community of trying to preserve the show. And I watch one of those episodes and all of a sudden there's an entire minute and a half segment that I've never seen before of them both sniffing paint thinner, you know, and, and I'm, yeah, my, my fucking mind explodes. I'm just like, oh my God, that is why that episode always seemed so short and just, I don't know, not too good on, you know, the official VHS tapes growing up. Right, right. Because right. there was all this stuff missing. And that really sparked it. But I mean, I was still a young teen then, but then it's like, okay, I need to get my show. I need to see all of this. Is there something, do you think any of the grown-ups who freaked out and like made it Beavis and Butthead a controversial show and talked about how um, it was sort of insidious. The fact that it was so 
influential on you as a five, six, seven year old, me as a 10, 11, 12 year old, and we're still talking about it 20 years later. I don't know. Maybe they had a point. Do you think they had a point? Like, we're, we're like, now you're 30 something. You're watching these episodes still. Like, can you imagine showing it to a six year old? Is that, would that, is that appropriate in your mind? Uh, yeah, a lot of the episodes I would just because it go over their heads. Um, the early episodes where they were playing fire and inhaling paint thinner, no, of course not. Because even as as a five year old, if I would have seen that episode, I probably would have tried it. It, it and and it's because like the first cartoon characters that were humans, and then as you're watching the episode, it gets interrupted by them watching your favorite TV station making fun of music videos that you hate too. They really get humanized. And right. I think that's what scared people. It wasn't an anthropomorphic cat playing with fire or Bart Simpson, who's yellow. It was two white boys in you know, suburban America. And everyone knew kids like that, especially I, I grew up out in the country. I still live in the country. You did know kids like that. You'd go out play in the woods with a BB gun or something. You'd run into some kid that was like, let's go throw, let's go throw rocks at cars. You know, <laughs> you didn't want to run into those fucking kids. And the first, you know, year of the show really captures those types of kids. I don't even think the first era of the show is that funny. Well, I, I think it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of scary because I did know kids like that. Um, now after that, and this is where I wrote an article about this. I called it thank thank you Darcy. Darcy was the name of the mother of the boy who set the house on fire. I've, I've actually became friends with that boy, um, and I know his side of the story. But when you look at that first era of the show, where they were just kind of torturing animals or playing with fire, or uh, you know, they, they had no redeeming charm. It's not why we love Beavis and Butthead. We love Beavis and Butthead because when they do bad things. They, they don't get that they did it. You know, they are too dumb to know. And that is the charm. It's almost like but the first era, that's just asshole kids, you know? And uh, without the controversy, I don't think the show would have ever had the chance to turn into what it did, which is brilliant. You know, I got to... One thing I noticed is that you refer to Beavis and Butthead as the boys, right? Like it's almost like you know them. Do you have do you have a favorite between the two? Are you more do you consider yourself more of a Beavis or a Butthead? I, I love Beavis. You like Beavis? What makes you say Beavis? I think the Christmas episode kind of proves my theory, but Beavis is like a pure soul. Without Butthead, Beavis would be a good person. And I don't think Beavis really has any bad intentions usually. I think probably the meanest he truly ever gets is to Stuart. And there's a few times where he more or less admits that it's because he's looking into a, a life that he'll never have. But he's probably too smart to actually think that. Um, I love Butthead because without Butthead, you wouldn't have, you know, this, the cynical part of Beavis that's so charming because it's not actually there. But uh, I love Beavis. I, I mean, as a kid, true story. When I was a kid, I used to talk like Beavis so much that uh, one day I thought I forgot my own voice. But it turns out I just hit puberty. And it had been so long since I used my own voice that my voice changed. And I just thought I forgot it. Did you, did you ever have, I mean, obviously the show had an effect on you even as a kid. 
Did you ever have any trouble getting your parents or adults to let you watch it? There, there was a big battle with my parents from the school growing up, not just because Beavis and Butthead, but, you know, Insane Clown Posse came out. Like, you know, it was just anything I was into. It was like I had to turn my shirt inside out. But my mom was just one of those moms that was like, would it sit down and like explain, like, you understand that you shouldn't do this, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just laughing at it. So I think she realized I had a good head on my shoulders, you know. But it definitely was oppressing from the schools and definitely the family around my mom was very like, why are you letting him do this? You know? And, uh, I don't think I grew up obsessed with Beavis and Butthead because I liked it so much as a kid. I think it's because everyone fought me liking it as a kid. And here I am years later, almost being like, well, I won the battle. <laughs> it's funny. You know, when you talk about them, when you talk about them being like good people and how smart they are. Cause before when you're describing that great day episode and like they go to school and they see it's closed, like they tried to go to school, you know, like they have some they sense of responsibility. They do have jobs, you know, they do have some sense of responsibility. They, they are idiot savants too. I mean, you watch those music video segments. Some of the things they say are so stupidly brilliant. You know, it, it's like, if that would have just been worded smart, it would have been genius. You know, <laughs> right, right, right. So, uh, is that like? So, do you think like the the characters? Is that what makes this show resonate with you? Uh, you know, so much more than every other show you've ever encountered since. Um, I I just I love those characters so much. I the show makes me cry. I I care about them. I feel bad for them. What's an episode I mean, of Beavis and Butthead that makes you cry? Um. The Christmas one uh, where Butthead sees that the world would be a worse place or a better place if he didn't exist. Um, if the Beavis would be working in a homeless shelter, Stuart would be his best friend. Beavis would be helping the homeless. You know, Anderson's house would be nice. It's just pretty much the point of the episode is that people like Butthead are what's wrong with the world and makes everyone else go cynical. How does that end? Is there an... Is uh, there... It's kind of like a Charlie's... Uh, t- uh, you know, their guardian angel is showing him this, you know, one of the classic Christmas tropes there at the end, you know, when he brings butthead back and then tries to tell him, please take your life. You know, he, he just, of course doesn't. And, uh, nothing comes of it. And Beavis and butthead walk away and butthead says, you know, the world might suck, but it would suck a lot more without us. And the whole point is that it wouldn't, they didn't learn anything. But to me as a kid, they meant so much to me that that quote like hit, you know, it's like, man, the world would suck if I didn't have this cartoon to view it through. Cause to me, Beavis and Butthead is like how I view the world. It really captures it. It, it is kind of a cynical way to look at the world, but nobody on Beavis and Butthead is really represented. Well, no one's a middle ground. Van Dreesen's a good person, but he's too extreme of a good person to survive the world. McVicker is, you know, too militant of a person to survive the world. Um, nobody can find a middle ground and everyone's just kind of butting heads. And that is really kind of how I view the world. And I think Beavis and Head captures it so perfectly. So let's talk about this collection. All right, enough dancing around it. Let's talk about the physical Beavis and Butthead <laughs> goods. So you said you've been collecting this stuff, like really collecting it since 2012. So this has sort of been thousands of items amassed over the past seven years. Is that right? Yeah, and yeah, is it is definitely. it like is it displayed or is it in boxes somewhere? Is it like in a is or is it like a museum to Beavis and Butthead? 
it's like a museum. I don't have too much packed away. T-shirts are in a closet. Um, books and comic books and things like that are in a closet, but they can be pulled out. You know, and, I, nothing's really stored. It's displayed. And most of it seems like mint in box. Most of it. Is that right? Absolutely. If I can find something in better condition, I'll trade up, you know, and then as they say, but then do you, so like, let's say you have something in good condition, you find a mint one, do you buy the mint one? And then you want to start playing with the good one? Like, do you, do you want to like play with your beefs about it, action figures and stuff? Yeah. 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 Uh, there, there's definitely some items where it's like, once I get like that double or that third one, I'm like, well, I'm going to open this one and fucking see what it's like to actually play with this thing. Um, some of it I've amassed doubles of, and I have a, a fan group and the Instagram and I'll just have like post a number one to a thousand and I'll pick a number. And you know, if you win, I'll send you this for free. So I've given a lot of my collection away, a lot of my doubles. Um, Is there anything you wish just, you could open, but you only have one of them and you can't find a better quality version? Um, yes, I have this Japanese like plush mallet that, uh, I, it takes batteries. Um, and it, so I know it talks and some of those Japanese items will actually speak in English and then have the dubbed translation afterwards, which I think is just hilarious, you know? Um, but I refuse to put batteries in it uh, because I, I want to find a second one one day. I just, it, my OCD kicks in. I don't want to like take the Velcro apart and then I don't know, I can't put it back together. I honestly, I know I'd be able to, but I just, I'm just patient. I'm like, someday I'll get that second one and, and, that, and then I'll, put batteries in that one and where are you going to get it from is it ebay it's like where where do you find a plush japanese uh, the, Jap- the, the japanese because i have like every item from every country outside of japan japan in 2000 and 2001 had so much merchandise release just like so many plush dolls little keychain figures um and it's all so obscure i really didn't start getting a hold of almost any of it till this past year and it's because I got on Instagram and people have contacted me. Now I have a guy on Instagram who's over in Taiwan and it seems like every two weeks he finds something and I know what exists now over there. I think, I, I think I have a list documented of all that was released over there. I'm only missing maybe five items. Um, what are you missing? Yeah. There's uh, like a tissue box cover in Japan. Like it's like a plush doll, but it wraps around your tissue box and it's cornholio and then you can pull like the tissues out from Beavis's nose if you can picture that. So Japan did, did really he had like a bloody nose. Maybe he had tissues in his nose in that episode. Am I remembering that? Um, nope, it's just random. I don't know where they're, where they're getting that from. Where Japan gets a lot of their merchandising ideas from are those types of Im- images that would like be in the books and whatnot. Because even though the show aired over there, a lot of things don't really translate. So if they just, I think they just like the characters. So there's like a picture that has the boys with tissues up their nose. So they're like, okay, well, we'll make dolls of that. So they did, or, you know, there was a picture of them just like as champion swimmers. Um, So there's dolls they made of them like that. And I think the reason the merchandise is so unique over there is because they don't really understand these characters. So they just see something like them in swimmer uniforms, which to us, the joke is, but that's something they can never do. Um, but to them, they're like, well, that must be from an episode. So let's make it into a doll. Did Beavis and Butthead have a large impact internationally? Were there, I never even occurred to me. Was it popular in other countries besides Japan? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I, since I've gone on Instagram, I've talked to people from so many countries and the stories of growing up with it and how like in Italy, 
you know, fart knocker and things like that don't translate. So really over there, Beavis and Butthead was really an offensive show because they were just saying, you know, shit and fuck, which I, I think lessens, uh, the, the humor of the show. I like the Beavis and Butthead, you know, they have their own lingo, almost like they know you can't swear. So we have, so we say butt munch, you know, it's, uh, adds to the adolescence. You know what I mean? Right, right. Do you also collect unlicensed Beavis and Butthead things? There must be just mountains of Absolutely. like. Absolutely. Okay, so what do you got there? Oh yes. Uh, I mean, you know, when the show came out, and, and bootlegs back then were like you would find them at the carnival, you know, and stuff like that. So there's a lot of awesome bootleg shirts. There's horrendous dolls. Um, lots of crap. Nothing too cool. What you'd expect, you know, carnival mirrors, stuff like that. But um, lots of things. You remember like how Bart Simpson had a lot of bootleg shirts and they'd make him black. Uh, you know, they did stuff like that. They'd have Beavis and Butthead killing Barney the dinosaur. There's like three shirts that exist like that because I think Barney was just the thing to hate in 93. Um, yeah, I love the bootleg stuff. If it has them on it, I'll get it pretty much. Do you think of your collection at all as an investment? No. This is just for your pleasure. Like this stuff is not appreciating value and maybe, or maybe you're just not going to sell it. If, if, if it is appreciating value, I'm probably the person pushing its value (laughs) by, um, you know, by putting it out there and showing, because I know since the collections went, you know, viral or whatever the frick, you know, there are people that are trying to collect it. Now there's people that contact me asking for leads on where to find stuff. Uh, luckily I've never really had to battle anybody, you know, because no one else was collecting it. So I got everything at a good price. Some things, magnificent prices. Um, I have the car, the cover art Mike judge drew for the 1993 album. I bought that from the owner of Geffen records. That's the only other time I've had to get to get Skype. I had to Skype with the owner of Geffen Records. To buy the original art that Mike Judge drew for the Beavis and Butthead album? Yeah, the 1993 album. The show was pretty new. It was kind of just coming out of that fire controversy. And I would say that album is kind of the first taste of uh, Beavis and Butthead as characters as they became. There's a skit where they go on Anthrax's tour bus. You know, <laughs> so you had the original album art drawn by Mike Judge, which you purchased from the head of Geffen Records. Yes, I skyped with him. I saw like his uh, uh, Weezer plaques behind him on the wall, and I was like, I literally go, "Well, uh, I guess you're the owner of Geffen Records." And he goes, "Well, it looks like this is going to the right place." I, I probably shouldn't admit this. He gave that to me for $150, and I say gave that to me because that's not selling. Yeah, he no. gave that to me. Right, that's that's right. That that is probably the most valuable item in my collection because if I were to put that on eBay and just put that this was Nirvana's last song that you know on this album, there's just so many bands that people would want to own that for. You name it. Is there a piece of merchandise that you own that you feel like was maybe the best merchandise of its day in that it it actually captures what made the show in sort of a physical object it's not my favorite but i think the definitive piece of merchandise let's say the show existed but they didn't merchandise it but they put out one thing um in 1996 they released a roll of toilet paper that had them like printed throughout the sheets of toilet paper and it was just called butt wipe and to me i think that's almost like the definitive beavis and Butthead merchandise just a Toilet humor put right on toilet paper. <laughs> is there, like, on the other end of that, is there, like, a, a really, like, 
is there, was there any high end Beavis and Butthead merchandise that was made like like a suit or like even not if a suit like a silk tie or something like something that's like uh, a little fancier than your average piece of Beavis and Butthead merchandise that you've come across? Well, yeah, they do have the silk ties, um, slippers. Uh, trying to think high class. I, I think one of the most random things is a soccer ball, and and like it says we're gonna score on it, and you just know when they were like. They were like, well, why would we put them on a soccer ball? And some guy in the room was like, we could put, we're going to score on it. And they're like, oh, yeah, do the soccer ball. You, know? <laughs> you can just hear it, you know? Yeah. Um, Beavis and Butthead, like, giggling at things, like, we're going to score, sort of the original, that's what she said. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what? And uh, going back to the sentimental of Beavis and Butthead, um, there's something about how those two didn't have a good life, but they, they, they seemed aware of it enough, but they, but they always laughed at it. And I think Beavis and Butthead almost kind of gives, it's almost like a lifestyle of attitude to almost walk through life and no matter, you know, Todd kicks their ass and they're like, <laughs> yeah, but that was cool. You know, no matter what happens to them, they're totally laughing. And I think that that was the most positive impact Beavis and Butthead had on me. You know, that, that mindset can almost get you through anything in life besides maybe a loved one dying. <laughs> Uh, you know, you've slipped into butthead a few times. Do you do Beavis too? Oh yeah, <laughs> pretty good. Do they have? I mean, obviously you have you have tons of Beavis stuff. You got tons of butthead stuff. Did they ever make like a Stewart action figure or a Mister Anderson action mm. figure? Mm. I wish. There's a Stewart shirt. There's a Van Dreesen shirt, and there's an Anderson shirt, and you might get like Anderson on a few buttons. What about Daria? Are you into Daria? I loved Daria when it aired, but I was a teenager. Because Daria, some people probably don't even realize this. Daria, just so people know why I brought this up, Daria, I think some people don't realize, was a spinoff of Beavis and Butthead. And that is sad to me because, honestly, Daria has has crossed over. Daria is relevant. Teenagers love Daria. They're like, oh, that's what it was like in the 90s, you know, and it, it, like, resonates them in a way where they don't realize it's actually not at all. Uh Daria was good when it was on. I personally can't stand the character of Daria as an adult. She's not smart. She's just kind of a dick. Uh, I love the father. I love Kevin. I think the show's funny, but by the end of it, it turns into such a drama with, you know, the the Tom era where Daria gets a boyfriend and then he starts dating Jane. It's just, uh, yeah. I mean, I have a lot of people ask me about Daria. Now, I love King of the Hill. I'll I'll almost say King of the Hill is better than Beavis and Butt. I just don't like it better. Daria is, I, I, I just don't know. It, to me, that is a time capsule. You you go and watch that, and you're like, oh, yeah, I can see that why this was good when it was. Whereas Beavis and Butthead, you see as more timeless. Exactly, but most people feel the opposite. But I also think that's because people get into Daria, they go to look up her on Beavis and Butthead, and they just find those crude era episodes on YouTube that you can watch because they're not on DVD and they're not seeing those good episodes with Daria, you know? So, um, unfortunately I think Mike judge preserved Beavis and butthead in the right way by putting just the best episodes, just the best music videos on DVD, but he didn't take into uh, consideration the YouTube era where if it's not on DVD, that means that it'll be able to make it onto YouTube. And most people are going to search out Beavis and butthead by going on YouTube and the, and ironically they end up being introduced to the show by those episodes that he wishes they weren't. And I think that is why the show isn't being 
crossed over and being viewed as as timeless with the new generation because they're not discovering it the right way. Kind of, I think, a meme around the show, you might say, or sort of what I, as a casual Beavis and Butthead fan, have come to believe is that there were these episodes that Mike Judge worked on, and those are the good ones, and then Mike Judge left for whatever reason, and then the show is not as good without him. Is that your point of view, too? Is that right? Is there anything to that? With with Beavis and Butthead? Yeah. Well, I hope he's not listening to this, but the truth of the matter is is that the episodes that Mike doesn't want remembered are the ones he worked on the hardest. Um, once they brought in a team of writers, that's when we got Cornholio. That's when we got the nosebleed episode. I've talked to some of the writers of those episodes, you know. Um, Mike Judge definitely became the characters through doing all those music videos. You know, nobody could voice them and give the delivery he did. But those old episodes he hates are the ones he was definitely the most involved in. And you could see it in King of the Hill, the first season he was involved in. And Hank is not as likable of a character. You could almost see some borderline racism. Um, and then he kind of has nothing to do with the show outside of the voice. And then Hank just becomes incredibly charming, almost like a Hey Arnold, like the, the help everybody can do no wrong character. Um, I think the show kind of got better through less involvement of Mike, but I almost want to say he would agree. Do you keep up with Mike judge work? Like, do you watch um, Silicon Valley? I've seen the first season. I like it, but it's hard for me to keep up on shows that go on that long these days. It's just uh, not in me, but I, I think it's brilliant. I think his best movie is Extract. I've seen all his movies. I, you know, I've seen The Good Family. I've seen everything he's touched. I just haven't finished Silicon Valley. But I love everything Mike Judge does. I think that he is just the, the slice-of-life humor master. And then, he, you know, it's funny because he does sort of, he's been doing it for a while now and his stuff does feel distinct from everything else. And I think that's a good way of describing him. He, I am to understand, reached out to you to express express admiration for your collection. Is that right? I mean, I, I sent him a message, but he did reply and he did follow my page. What was the message you sent? And, and how much of your hair did you include in it? <laughs> I sent him a picture of the display case and I just said, um, it would mean a lot to me to know that you saw my collection. Your characters mean a lot to me. There's something to that extent. And he just replied back with, you got it. And then he followed my page. And then I've talked to him briefly a few times since. And he's, he's just really nice. What do you, what, what do you, what do you <laughs> so talk like, to him about? Um, I found something like Beavis and Butthead in Mexico and they were watching music videos, but it was dubbed in Spanish and they weren't music videos that were over here. And honestly, his reaction was like, they aren't supposed to do that. And I was like, dude, it was 1990. I was like, this is from 1994, Mike. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, thanks for showing me. You know? <laughs> That's great that he can appreciate that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's really nice. But you're never supposed to meet your heroes. And I, I don't want to become too close to him because I don't ever want to have that moment where I were to upset him or were to find out that he thought I, you know, they, you just don't want to meet your heroes. I've met him enough. It's nice to know that that dude has viewed my museum, <laughs> and he likes my posts sometimes. You know. Do you and, think there's any chance there's a bigger Beavis and Butthead fan than you out there? Well, what's the biggest fan? Um, people say I'm the biggest fan, but that not that's not necessarily true. Um, how often do you watch the show? How often, like in the past month? How many? How often have you watched Beavis and Butthead? Yeah, probably a couple hours once every two weeks that's, I put it on. That's decent because I've imagined you've seen them all by now. 
Mm-hmm. Do you watch the? Oh yeah. And when you watch them, do you watch the, uh, the, the reboot ones? Because they made some new ones a few years ago. Are those part of your rotation too? Not as much. Um, I actually have my own edits I made of those. I got rid of the cutaways because I don't really think them watching Jersey Shore is very timeless. But I think the episodes were quite well. Um, but yeah, it's it, it doesn't get old to me. Uh, the the new season when it came back, no, I don't put that on too much. Um, but there's a okay. few episodes in there that made it into like my top twenty. No, like they're really good. Did you like it? Did you watch it when it came back? I did watch it when it came back. I mean, look, I'm not as intimately familiar with the show as you are. It struck me as pretty good. I was like, uh, I kind of like, one thing I liked about it was it sort of felt, again, to me, the casual Beavis and Butthead fan, that um, it didn't feel like they had tried to um, update the format in any meaningful way. Yeah, like they changed the music videos to be like modern MTV shows instead of music videos. But the other show just felt, yeah. right, right, I, which I get that change. Because, I mean, they don't really make music videos anymore, not like they did. And um, also, right. they're not, like, right. metal, you know? Like, Beavis and Butthead, like, I don't know if them watching, like, pop videos is the same thing. Uh, but then, the, yeah, well, they, 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 they didn't really, I mean, they, they watched all sorts of music videos, so I think they could have watched anything. Yeah, they okay. hated and loved and, yeah. Okay, so, but putting that aside, the, the narrative segments struck me like, um, I, I it, it felt like they had just been making the same show for 20 years, almost like it never went away. Not necessarily in a good way, like yeah. I was, but it felt like season 25 of Beavis and Butthead. Like it really felt like, um, yeah, like they were just still doing the same thing. And I guess I kind of liked that. Like even, I, but I got to admit, I only watched like one or two of them, you know, out of sort of a curiosity. Like I didn't like it didn't like reignite the passion for me. It definitely the voices were a little different, but that's to be expected. Um, but to me, the new season, it almost felt like a year later, like Beavis and Butthead had aged a year. Their voices had changed a bit and they were just a little smarter. But I almost think it's just because the shows they were watching, the people on them were so dumb that by contrast, Beavis and Butthead looked brilliant. Right. You know, Jersey Shore, Teen Mom. I mean, they ripped these people apart as if they were two kids that made good life choices, <laughs> you know? Is there anything in your collection that we haven't discussed today that I would regret not having asked you about? This is like me really cheating as an interviewer, but I just got to make sure. Yeah. Are there any like weird items in your collection that we just haven't discussed that it would be a shame if we didn't know about at the end of the day? I, I, I think my holy grail is the, the episode that was blamed for the fires. Um, it, they go to a comedy club and Beavis sets newspapers on fire and tries to juggle them and the building burns down. Um, I have the production used animation cell set up of Beavis holding the newspapers, pulling his lighter out, lighting them on fire, and then holding them up on fire. I have the whole, uh, every drawing of it, and I have that framed up on the wall. I, I think that's truly a holy grail to the censorship history of the show. Yeah, I mean, that's a important piece of television history, right? Like, that's that's really, uh, the, the sor- the, 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 those paintings were really the source of a lot of trouble in the 90s. That's right. I think that is like, to me, that's like owning a piece of the 90s. I mean, that really scared people. Everyone who's listening, look up Beavis and Butthead on Tom Brokaw and the reactions that people had to this show. It's it's amazing how much fear uh, it provoked. You know, it's it's amazing. Is, is there anything like that today? Like, is there a show no, today where no. there's like sort of a modern panic or have we just sort of gotten over that? South Park's probably the closest thing, but even South Park, I think people pretty quickly recognize was like a smart show and 
you know. Yeah, absolutely. Because you remember when South Park first came out, I would say that was the last cartoon that'll ever, you know, stir up that kind of controversy. I couldn't wear my shirts to school. I had to turn them inside out and whatnot. Yeah, like Family Guy's big, but Family Guy wasn't a phenomenon when it came out. It was actually canceled for a year or two, and then they brought it back. Right, and it never stirred up controversy. And I think the first few years of Family Guy are great. But what the show became, I actually look at as, I look at the 90s as a big battle of cartoon censorship, and I look at the South Park movie as, you know, winning the, the, the censorship battle. Um, and then you look at Family Guy, what it is now, and it's almost like, well, boy, that's what we won the battle for, so that Family Guy can just make a bunch of rape jokes on Fox at 6 p.m. Um, we did it! Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, The Simpsons, Beavis and Butthead, and South Park, had a lot of substance to him and Beavis and Butthead might not seem like it did, but it did. And new adult cartoons. When we look at like family guy and stuff, I think that the substance is lost. It is just a bunch of like, it's like a 12 year old making dead baby jokes and it's not funny. Um, I'm not offended by it. I'm offended by the fact that it's not clever and it's, it's, it's trying so hard to offend me that it's not funny. It's like, someone making an emo slit your wrist joke it's like ha 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 um but there are a lot of good new cartoons i think the best modern adult cartoon is f is for family and that's a brand new one and i think that that is one of the greatest cartoons i've ever seen i have to check that out that's the bill burr show that's on netflix it is i would compare it to beavis and butthead king of the hill meets all in the family and i think all in the family is the greatest tv show of all time what? Wow. Uh, so I gotta that, check that out. Yeah. What's your all in the family merchandise collection like? Oh gosh, I wish. Unfortunately, if you try to collect all in the family merchandise, it's just a bunch of bootleg racist merchandise, you know, from back then of like Archie Bunker for president from a bunch of people who didn't get the satire of the show. <laughs> they did right. release a baby doll for uh well it was it the the daughter had a baby at one point. Yeah. For some reason they released a baby doll for all in the family. Name. I think that was a yeah, big deal you know when that, that baby was born. Yeah, I think that was like a you know a major pop culture event. Are there, yeah, is there anyone like, that ever comes over to your apartment and like doesn't know that they're about to walk into the world's largest Beavis and Butthead collection? I have like what, like seven or eight Beavis and Butthead tattoos. Uh, it comes up. People know gotcha. what they're going to walk into. Do you have any non-Beavis yeah. and Butthead tattoos or are all your tattoos Beavis and Butthead related? Um, I have a tattoo of the band The Locust. Uh, I'm like looking at my arms here. No, not really. Most of it's Beavis and Butthead. I do want to get a South Park tattoo someday, but those perfect circles kind of make me hesitant. Because they would, like, grow wobbly over time? Is that how tattoos work? I just don't think there's tattoo artists. Like, you can have the most brilliant tattoo artists in the world, but can they draw a perfect circle? Mm, you know, I it's... Know. Uh, and that, uh, those South Park characters are just, like, perfect circles, man. And over the years, looking at people's South Park tattoos, I haven't ever seen one that I really liked. Mm, they just don't. They have. don't translate to a tattoo very well. And, and before we go tonight, I got to ask: like, what do you do in your non-Beavis and Butthead life when you're not collecting um, or watching Beavis and Butthead? Well, I work at a pharmacy, so that's boring. Um, I I'm a noise musician. I've been doing that since 2005. If anyone wants to look that up, waves crashing piano chords. That's like a. I make noise and kind of GG Allen, go out and beat the shit out of the crowd or whatever. Uh, I've been doing that for years. Please forgive me. It's too late in the interview to get into it, but I got to ask a dumb question. What's a noise musician? I've heard this phrase, but what, what does that mean exactly? Noise is, is so, yeah. I, 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 I hear myself being my yeah. father right now, but like, uh, just yeah. walk me through it very briefly. What, what is noise music and what, what do you play? Do it, 
it's not techno. It's not dubstep. I mean, just picture, you know, you know, when we had just had to stop the interview for a bit because that train was going by. Picture me screaming over that. That's noise music. <laughs> and what do you think Beavis and Butthead would think of noise music? I think they would love it. I th- Beavis and Butthead is such a big influence on why I even do it. You know, I mean, there's even a music video segment where they're watching somebody I can't think of, but they have like clown paint. I, I put face paint on, you know. And they're like, yeah, these clowns are cool. <laughs> yeah, because they scream and make noise, you know. <laughs> so I think uh, at the core, I'm doing exactly what they always liked about metal and everything. Just like a pe- bunch of people going out, breaking stuff, uh, making a ruckus and just pissing people off. So that I think Beavis and Bud would think that was pretty cool. <laughs> so I like that you are not only like um, living a life where you admire Beavis and Butthead, you're like truly bringing their spirit into this world by doing something they would enjoy, possibly even do themselves. I think they would do it, yeah. <laughs> yeah I think they would definitely. I mean, do you remember the one where they tried to start the garage band and he's like got the acoustic guitar, Beavis does, and uh, Bud's like, go ahead, play it. And he just like strums it really hard and is like, you're going to die and just like smashes it. Right. <laughs> and I Bud's like, kind of- like, we're on our way, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, that's all it takes to rock, you know? Just break it. Um, so, yeah, I think at the core, I think they would love what I do. <laughs> that's cool. That's a great way to live. Well, Sean, thank you so much for coming by, telling us about the collection. Uh, let's talk about the Instagram again. If you didn't go before, you have some context, check it out now. It is Beavis and Butthead Collector. Beavis and Butthead Collector. That's me. Sean, Thanks so much for stopping by. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for having me, dude. That was a HeadGum Podcast.